Morning, everyone. Happy New Year. Let's uh, take a moment. We'll pray together. Father, thanks that we can gather here uh, within these walls to listen for your voice. Take a moment as we start a new year together and ask you to shepherd us through all that lies ahead. If we look back on 2015, none of us would have anticipated the year uh, which was our experience, both individually and collectively as, as humanity. So, Father, you alone know what is ahead in each of our lives personally with respect to health, finance, relationships, vocation. Uh, you know our community and you know our calling. So I pray, Father, that even as we, as we enter into this year, that your Holy Spirit would just move among us even this morning, uh, that we might be people intent on uh, fulfilling the calling you have for each of us. Various roles in our lives, husbands, wives, fathers, neighbors, employees, employers, managers, and members of your body, the church. So speak to us through the power of your Holy Spirit. We'll thank you for it. And we thank you for the adventure that awaits as we follow you wholeheartedly without reserve. In the name of Christ we pray, amen. Morning, everyone. Welcome. Happy New Year. Glad that we can be together this morning as we step into 2016 together. Appropriate uh, at this time, beginning of the year, to talk just a little bit about exercise, because I think many of you may have some goals related to exercise. And so I'm going to add, just going to ask a question here at the outset. Who in the room does anything called CrossFit? Does anyone do that? Could you raise your hands if, if you're into that? One. Two, two, in a room this size. It's amazing. It doesn't matter, though. It's really fine. I, I just only ask because it's a phenomenon, and, and I, there's a story that uh, fits well with our topic this morning. It's a story of a guy who uh, is involved in the company Reebok, and the guy's name is Matt O'Toole. Matt says, uh, of course, Reebok being a shoe company, Matt says, that for years he ran every day. And the reason he ran every day was he had decided that if he tried to have anything other than a totally legalistic daily routine with respect to exercise, it evaporated. It's like for him it's all or nothing. Like can any of you identify with that in the room? Some of you can maybe. Uh, and so this was Matt, and this was running every day. And of course, if you're a... Uh, physiotherapist in the room or something like that, here's probably what you know. If you run every day, eventually what happens to you? You don't run anymore because it's really, it can be hard on your body to do the same thing day after day after day. This happened to Matt, so <clears throat> he had injuries, right? He had some lower, he had lower back things. Whatever this is called was also broken. And then uh, his Achilles was also bad news. And so he was done, right? And uh, while he was in recovery, a friend invites him to CrossFit. Now, if you don't know CrossFit, there's this thing called Workout of the Day, W-O-D, and uh, it's, every day is different. Prentice, would you stand up so that we can see a CrossFit person? Prentice does CrossFit. Go ahead, stand up. Stand up. He's on staff. Go ahead. Yeah. Just, just look at how fit he is, right? And, and the reason that he's so, like, in amazing shape is because these workouts of the day 
are, they exercise different parts of your body day after day after day. So you're working out often, but exercising different parts of your body. So this guy, Matt O'Toole, he starts doing CrossFit, and not only were his injuries healed, but he said, now I could begin to run again. As long as I did this CrossFit thing, I could run because my whole body was now healthy. And that's the phrase I want to key in on this morning. My whole body was now healthy. This is not a sermon about a New Year's resolution to get fit, though, parentheses, get fit, right? <laughs> Different story. This is, though, about what it means to be a healthy body because we, all of us, are part of the body of Christ, and that's the body about which we're speaking this morning. And so, if you have a New Year's resolution regarding faith, I just want you to know, faith must include a commitment to participation in the church and using the gifts that God has given you, and that's exactly what we're going to talk about this morning, right? So I'm going to read a passage in 1 Corinthians chapter 12 that will govern these moments, and I'll start reading in verse 11 and read down through uh, verse 16. Verse 11. So 1 Corinthians 12, Paul's writing a letter, and he's writing to the, the, a church uh, about what it means to be a church, right? It's very appropriate for us to consider this at the outset of the year and at the outset of a series beginning next week about church health. So, verse 11, uh, but one and the same Spirit, the Holy Spirit works all things, distributing to each one individually gifts just as the Spirit wills. And so here's, I mean, here's the beginning, like kind of starting point here this morning. If you're a Christ follower and you're in the room here this morning, when you came to Christ, you received Christ, yes, but every one of you, this is the point of this text, every one of you received uniquely like a gift that is yours from God so that you are now like equipped and empowered to represent Christ in a unique way. Every person, different. That's what he's saying here. The Holy Spirit has given each of you a gift. No one in the room is lacking a gift. You might not know your gift, but you have a gift, Right? Even as a body, and then this is, the, this is the key, even as the body is one, and he's talking, now he, if you're reading this like you're the Corinthians and you're reading this letter, oh, the body is one, and this is, how many bodies do I have? One. one the body is one. We understand that. And yet, a body, one body has many members, right? Left hand, right hand, some feet, right? Some ears, many members. And yet it's one body. Then this is what he says. So also is Christ. That's significant. We'll come back to it in a moment. For by one spirit we're all baptized into one body, Jews, Greeks, slaves, free. We've all drunk of one Holy Spirit. The body is not one member, but many members, but one body. So, if the foot should say, because I'm not a hand, I'm not a part of the body, it's not for that reason any less a part of the body. If the ear says, because I'm not an eye, I'm not part of the body, it's not any less a part of the body. So we're talking about the body that is the church this morning, and Paul is writing to a church that has some people sitting on the sidelines, disengaged from being the church for various reasons. Shame, inadequacy, and I think one of the biggest reasons of all is a reason that also uh, invades our own culture. The Roman Empire had become, at the apex of its decline, a consumeristic culture. In other words, 
Uh, if you remember, how, you know, how do we keep them happy? Bread and circuses. Do you remember that saying from the Roman Empire? If you were there, of course you weren't there, but right, history, you know. Bread, you know, how do we, like, how are we going to keep people involved and, and ignorant of the fact that the empire is actually evaporating before our eyes? How, like, what do we do? Just entertain people, right? And so, you know, New Year's becomes uh, football games and then NFL playoffs and then Super Bowl and then Valentine's Day and then, uh, you know, spring, Easter stuff, and of course, you know, March Madness fills the gap, and then it's first pitch, and it's baseball, and then we go into that thing, and then it's the NBA playoffs, and then it's the NHL playoffs, and if you're into sports, there's always a way to not think about life, because we're consumers, right? And so we can just, we can just, we can just receive and receive, receive, and, you know, sit and watch, and then we get on our phones, and, and you know, we have our fantasy leagues, and it's all, you know, we're, we're passive, well, Rome was passive too, and the, so the Corinthians were passive. And there's people then who do this. They go to church, and that's code for, uh, like, I come to receive goods and services at church, and then I leave. And so I, as an individual, come, and I hope the pastor fills my, you know, empty spiritual tank because life is hard out there when, you know, when you work at Amazon or Microsoft or you're entrepreneurial or you're, you know, a barista somewhere. And so I'm just coming. I want to get encouraged so I can go back out. And if the pastor's good, I'll put some money in. But it's all about the church filling me up, right? I go to church. And by the way, I'll give him a chance, but if he doesn't fill me, I'll maybe give him a second chance if I'm gracious. But, you know, after three strikes, I'm done. I'm going to find someplace that, quote, meets my needs, right? And that, and that becomes a consumeristic mindset. And the Corinthians were guilty of that. It's so there's people sitting on the sidelines. And so Paul is writing here to say, look, <laughs> that, it can't be that way. Chapter 12, verse 6 God works by giving gifts to every person, right? And so the, the, uh, Eugene Peterson the, from The Message says it this way, each person is given something to do that shows who God is. Each person, that's you and me, we're all given something to do to show who God is. That's what it means to be a church, and so we want to move away from being spiritual consumers to being active participants in the body of Christ. And to do that, we see this morning three words about what it means to be a healthy body, right? First, with respect to the body that is the church, we see that the body is a reality, not a metaphor. Second, we see that the body requires every part. And third, we see that the body is unified even though it's diverse, right? So it's a reality, not a metaphor. It requires every part, and it's unified, not diverse. We look at these three things, beginning with this. The body is a reality, not a metaphor. 1 Corinthians 12, verses 12 to 14. Even as the body is one, and yet as many members, and so that's think of a human body, all, and all the members of the body, though they are many, are one body, now, this is what you'd think he'd say. Then you'd think he would then say, that's the way Christ is, like a, like a metaphor, right? Because there are metaphors in the Bible, right? When, uh, when you read in Isaiah that uh, uh, God will shelter you under his wings, I mean, you really think that God is a giant bird, 
sheltering you, like he has literal wings? No. You understand that's a, that's a metaphor, right? When we read the Lord is my shepherd, it, I mean, is that really like the vocation of God raising sheep? No, it's a metaphor. So there's metaphors. And when, God's, when Jesus says to you, you're the light of the world, like do you think of a literal light like shining out from you in some sense, like you're E.T. or something like that? No, you don't think that way. You understand it's a metaphor, right? Light, metaphor. Wings, metaphor. Shepherd, metaphor. Body, not metaphor. Reality. This is, and this is hugely, it's actually hugely significant, as we'll see. Uh, so in, in, in John 14, 12, Jesus, this is what Jesus says that shows us the reality of the body. Jesus says, look, I'm, go, I'm leaving, but when I leave, you now will do greater works than I ever did. Now, th- has that verse ever mystified you in John 14, 12? I mean, what did Jesus do? Pretty cool stuff, right? Like raising the dead and, and, and healing people and casting out demons, you know, powerful teaching, crossing social divides, um, you know, making social statements as he empowers women. Lots of things, cool stuff. And now he says to his disciples, look, I'm leaving, but don't worry. Uh, Now my paraphrase, if I did cool stuff, your stuff, even cooler, right? Like, how is that even possible? Well, very important that we see this. When Jesus was here, as great as Jesus was in his humanity, Jesus was limited in space and time. Does that make sense? In other words, he's one. And so if I'm in Nazareth, I'm not in Jerusalem. If I'm in Jerusalem, I'm not in Galilee. If I'm in Galilee, I'm not in Capernaum. I can only be one place at one time. Now, you know, death, resurrection, ascension, gone, but not gone. Because Christ now lives in every one of you who claim to follow Christ, right? And if Christ lives in every one of you, then this is what this means this morning. Christ is healing the sick, casting out demons, empowering crossing social divides, forgiving, doing, doing works of mercy and reconciliation. Where today is that happening? Ever in the world right now. It's a Sunday, and people are gathering all over the world today. They're in Moscow. They're in Albania. They're in South Africa. They're in South America. They're, they're in Ballard even. They're everywhere, right? And so, so people are, you know, the, the body of Christ now, it's not a metaphor. Jesus is alive doing what he did in his humanity now through his body, which is literally, not metaphorically, the church. That's what, that's what the text says. Of course, this is prophesied in Acts 1.8. Hey, I'm leaving, but when I go away, you'll be, like, you'll receive the power from the Holy Spirit. You'll be my witnesses. Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, far corners of the world. And so now, Christ is everywhere the light is shining. So remember what Jesus said? Hey, whenever two or three of you are gathered in my name, I'm there in your midst. Remember that? We t- and here's how I used to think of that verse. Here's three right here in the front row. So if these three are gathered. They're praying together somehow. I used to think, oh, if three pray, then Jesus shows up, right? Like he's waiting, but when, when there's two or three, Jesus is like, okay. And then he walks through the wall and he's there and now... Here's Jesus. Oh, no, no, no. That's not what Jesus is saying. Because here's the reality, right? Christ is already there in you, in you, in you. And so when two or three of you are gathered in his name, Christ is there. Why? Because he's already there. (laughs) 
But now, because there's three of you, I will see Christ more clearly than I would if I was only with you or with you or with you. Because every time a new person uh, contributes to the work of the body of Christ, new gifts are displayed. And the best metaphor I can give you is... Uh, if you remember, if you're old enough, you remember days of dial-up internet? Who remembers that in here? I mean, a few of you are like, oh yeah, you know, you're going to tell your kids, I remember dial-up. And they will go, what was that? You know, because people are that old, dial-up. And so when that happened, uh, then remember how pictures would show up on, on your computer and they'd start off really fuzzy and then they'd get clearer and clearer. And why is that? Does anyone know? Of course you know, because you guys are techie. You understand, there's more pixels, right? And with more pixels, there's more clarity. Is that, isn't that the way, the, the, the way it works? And so more, more pixels, more clarity. More, more, more gifts, more clarity. Makes, that makes sense? Of course it makes sense. Every one of us has a gift to contribute. Take, take your pixels out of the picture, Christ is not seen as clearly. So this is, this is the body, it's a reality, not a metaphor. Life together in community is always a clearer expression of Christ than an individual, always. So when you're called to Christ, you're not called to, you know, you and Jesus alone in a cave, you're all, we're always called to community. We're always called to interdependency. And so what flows from that are three truths that I'll just highlight here. If it's a reality, this means Christ must be the head of the body. It means the goal is the reconciliation of all things in Christ and it means that Christ has a name that's above every name. And I'll just unpack those as part of this body reality. Christ is the head of the body. This simply, I mean, in Colossians 1.18, it says that the head of the body, which is the church, is Christ. And so if Christ is the head, you know your own human body. Uh, the, I mean, the brilliance of the human body is that, is that up here in the brain, the brain controls the, right? The brain controls the whole body. And so every part of your body is intended at its healthiest to be responsive to the head. And of course, all of us in the room get frustrated uh, when there's a piece of our body that feels unresponsive to the head. You're sleeping on your, on your arm or something like this, and you wake up and, you, and you're, we, what do we say? My hand has fallen asleep, and you're like, I can't feel it. I, what's wrong, you know? And there's a, some kind of a disconnect there until the blood returns. I don't understand how that works, but it, it, it's what happens. There's a, there's, a, there's a subjective sense that something's wrong if a piece of my body's unresponsive. That's just true, right? And of course, at its, at its worst, anytime a nerve is severed in the, in the spine, then the communication center is broken, and it's called paralysis. So, you know, being responsive to the head is significant, and Christ is the head. Now, what, this thing that God is doing through the church, what's the goal of it? Well, in, in Colossians 1, we're told that the church exists to be a force of reconciliation on this planet. And so I'll just read for you, beginning in verse 17. This is Christ. He, Christ, is before, Colossians 1, 17. He, Christ, is before all things, and in Christ all things hold together. And Christ, here we go, Christ is the head of the body, the church, beginning, firstborn from the dead, so that he might have first place or preeminence in everything. And then verse 19, 
It was the Father's good pleasure for all fullness to dwell in Christ and through Christ to reconcile all things to God. All things reconciled to God. So, uh, like I read that, I go, you know, oh, the church is about reconciliation. And if I had time, I'd, I'd cross-reference this to Isaiah 2, where we realize that reconciling to God automatically reconciles us to one another as well, right? But I don't have time, so I'll just say it. But Isaiah 2 explains that to you. So, okay, all things reconciled in Christ. Marvelous. And then here's what happens to me when I read it and I'm studying. I go, what? No way. That is not church history, Right? The church, a reconciling instrument? What about the 30-year war in Europe? I mean, the bloodiest war in history was a war in Europe between Protestants and Catholics for 30 years. And they only stopped because they were tired of killing each other. They didn't solve anything. They are just tired of all the bloodshed, right? And what about the witch trials in New England? How is, like, how is that reconciling? What about the Crusades? How is that reconciling? What about church splits? How is that reconciling? What about the KKK? How is that reconciling? What about, you know, in Jesus' name, uh, imprisoning and, and then annihilating the Jewish population in Germany? Reconciliation. Like the church has a mark of divisiveness and power plays and violence. And so, it's up to us to listen to that, repent, and rather than throw the church away, say, oh, we now recognize that a lot has been done throughout history in Jesus' name that didn't represent Jesus. Does that make sense? And so, look, if the Crusades don't represent Jesus, and if the KKK doesn't represent Jesus, and if Auschwitz and the Reich don't represent Jesus, and if racism doesn't represent Jesus, then even though it's done in Jesus' name, I'm not going to call it the church anymore. Because the true church is a reconciling instrument, and my responsibility then with you is to be people of reconciliation guided by our single call to represent the character of Christ because Christ is the fullest and final revelation of God's character. And Christ is a reconciling force. He meets with the Samaritan who's an enemy, right? He forgives his enemies on the cross. He says to us, go the second mile, turn the other cheek, love your enemies, pray for those who persecute you, bless those who revile you. This is reconciliation. And so if we are the presence of Christ, we are the presence of absolute, unconditional love in this world. And that's our calling. For, forgive preemptively. Love enemies. That's what it looks like to represent Jesus. And so the result of this is because Christ is this powerful reconciling force in a deeply divided cosmos. We know this. Christ then has the name that is above every name. Uh, Philippians 2 is what I shared a couple of weeks ago where I said, remember, here's Christ, equality with God. And then what did Christ do? He became a human, not just a human, a servant, not just a servant, a bondservant, not just a bondservant, obedient, obedient to the point of death. Therefore, because he was here and humbled himself to hear, what do we read? God exalted him, not just exalted him. God exalted him what? Highly, so that Christ has the name that is, does anyone know the rest? Above every name. Christ's name greater than any name at all. And this is why at Bethany Community Church, we are unapologetically Christocentric. In other words, we're Trinitarian, 
Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And they all matter. And they're all important. The Holy Spirit matters. God the Father matters. But even within the Godhead, God's plan for Christ, God's plan for Christ, Colossians 1, 17 to 20, is that in all things, Christ would come to have preeminence. In the end, Revelation 5, everybody is worshiping Jesus. And so should we. Why? Because Christ is the, is the clearest revelation for us as humans of God's character. If you want to know what God looks like, Look at Jesus. That's the point. John 1.14. The Word, that's Christ, became flesh and dwelt among us. Jesus is God living as a human. And then this is what it said. We were given the privilege of beholding the glory of God. In other words, the, the Greek word for behold, theodzomai, from which we get the, the English word theater, right? And you know what a theater does to you. It sucks you in. And, and, and saturates you in a different reality. Does this, isn't that what a theater does? I mean, it does that to me. When I go to Star Wars, I'm not, I don't even think about special effects. Some of you may. I, I just assume it's all happening. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? It's real. These ships are flying and these things are, these swords are smashing things and, it's, and I just go, wow, what a great alternate reality, you know? And then, and then it ends and you go out in the hall and then you're back in a different world. And then, I mean, here's the thing. What did Jesus say? Listen, this is, this is Matthew 3. Repent. In other words, change the way you live. Why? The kingdom of heaven is here. What's the kingdom of heaven? Alternate reality. What does it look like? Oh, well, look at Jesus. He'll, he'll show you. It looks like loving your enemies. It looks like going the second mile. It looks like turning the other cheek. It, it, it looks like caring for, caring for the poor. It looks like preemptive forgiveness. That's why Christ had a, has the name above every name because uh, Christ is the clearest display of God and God's plan for history. And by the way, we now are the body of Christ. So our calling is to, is to display nothing less than the character of Christ. Church health then becomes dependent on each one of us using our gifts so that Christ's character can be seen with the greatest clarity because every gift adds a pixel, if I can say it that way. Does that, you understand what I mean? So positively stated, Christ is seen most clearly in proportion to the extent that all members of the body are active. Negatively stated, any, any member of the body sitting on the sidelines limits the character of Christ that is seen. And the good news is, all of us in the room can know whether or not we're being responsive to the head. We can know. How do we know? Well, here's the first thing. Do I have habits of listening for Christ? Do I have habits? Am I listening for Christ? If I'm not approaching the Scriptures on a regular basis in some fashion, then I'm not listening for Christ. There's really no excuse for any of us in the room not to uh, uh, approach the Scriptures on some sort of daily basis. It's so easy to do. In, in this moment in history, because all you, you just go into, you go to your little computer and you type into Google, I want a daily devotional with two verses, and you have 30 options. Oh, are you too busy for two verses? One verse. You have 60 options, right? Oh, you want to read through the whole Bible in a year? You have eight options. Oh, you want to memorize the whole Bible in a year? You have one option. Memorize the Bible. Go. <laughs> right? But, but you get my point. Like there's a habit that we're called to develop of, of listening to the head. And that's this. And, here, and then this is a big question. It's one thing to listen, 
but the point of listening is to, is to attune, like Hebrews 6, to attune our conscience so that we're more responsive to, to the Holy Spirit saying, wait a minute, don't do that, or, or make sure you do that. We're listening to that and we're responding. Don't just listen to the head, listen and respond. I'll give you one simple example. Some of you know, we live up at Snoqualmie Pass. And, and because of all the snow and all the beautiful cold weather, our town up there, which consists of a corn dog stand and a gas station, basically, has been invaded, right, over the last several weeks. And, and so I want to go skiing on Friday, and, and my journey was from my house to the skier about two miles away called Alpental, and uh, like two miles, come on, that's five minutes, right? Oh no, that's 20 minutes because town has gone mad. So all these people from the city who don't know how to drive in snow, no offense to any of you, and then they're parked along this one main, we have one road, one main road, and they're parked, and so uh, there's, there's a, then the traffic, like if you're driving down the street, there's a guy in front of me, and he stops, and I'm right behind him. He stops, and he's, wait, and he's waiting. He's just stopped. And then all the cars in front of him just go. And so the road is empty. As far as I can see, there's no traffic. But behind me, there's a gigantic line, probably a mile long of cars, because this guy has stopped. Not for a minute, but for well over five minutes. And, and so, like, I'm waiting, and if you think about it, someone's just parked in the road for five minutes, their car's running, I see the exhaust, and I go, what's going on? And now there's a thing going on here. Do you ever see those cartoons with the two <laughs> things, right? And so I want to honk, and, I, and I'm ready to honk, and then there's this other, this, this Jesus thing over here. No, no, come on, this is a great chance to practice patience. Okay won't honk, and then another minute goes by, and I want to honk again, no, and then I want to, and then I want to yell, and I want to use my fingers in wrong ways, and then I'm just mad because I'm like this, I want to go skiing, I'm the most important person in the universe right now, and like, you're, like, you're so selfish, so, but this voice here is like, come on, Richard, just breathe deeply and enjoy the beauty that's, because it was such a beautiful day, right, and so, Okay, I'm just going to calm down. And the person behind me didn't have the Jesus angel. <laughs> so kind of got out of her car, went up, banging on the window. Then there's this yelling encounter going on. And then she comes back. I rolled down my window. I go, like, is he alive? Did he have a heart attack? What's going on? Oh, no, he's just waiting for someone to come and leave so he can park his car. Is anyone leaving? No, no one is leaving. As far as the eye can see, he's just waiting. He's just waiting. So she says, I suggest you go around him. And so I just, I just went around and I waved and I left. And I was like this. Do you know there's always moments when we have an opportunity to be responsive to the head? Does this make sense? Little moments, call for patience. Big moments, move to San Diego, right? Big moments, start tithing. Big moments. Uh, have your neighbors over that you don't even know their names. <laughs> Big moments. Have that hard conversation in your marriage. Christ is speaking. And if, Christ, if we're not listening, <clears throat> we'll never follow. 
But if we're listening, it's incumbent upon us to respond. And if we respond, here's the good news. When we respond, the fruit of our life moves towards God's goal of reconciliation. Right? The church is not only, you know, witch trials and crusades and all this ugly stuff. Child labor laws in England that ended children working in coal mines is because Christ is the head of the church. And, there, and, and, and people responded, John Wesley and others, to make labor laws. Uh, the abolition of slavery, William Wilberforce, because Christ is the head of the church. Like, who's at the forefront of reforesting Haiti, the church? Environmental restoration, in Jesus' name. Reconciliation between perpetrators and victims in the Rwanda genocide. Like, who, whose idea was that, Christians? Uh, living more simply in order to live more generously. Christians, leprosy centers in India. Christians, Ebola care given in Sierra Leone. Christians, uh, hospital in the center of Kathmandu to care for anyone for any reason at all. Christians, Presbyterians even, right? I mean, God is at work. Our own homeless shelter here, medical clinic, ministries of hospitality. Christ visible is Christ beautiful. And that's exactly why we exist. And this is why a very good news to announce for you, right? Our desire has been to bless and serve our children, our youth, with safer facilities and our larger neighborhood with community meals and food bank uh, through a new facility. And if you're new here, you don't know about this, but we received a permit in August and then we had uh, uh, a challenge to the permit. And so we've been in a hearing and I am just really happy to announce that uh, the complaints have been dismissed and our permit is fully approved and we get to begin our building in January. And so this is really good news, right? And we'll talk more about it in the future, but uh, this happens both to the extent that all of us participate and it happens so that all of us can more fully participate in the story of hope that God wants to write through us. This is why we exist. We're called to be the beautiful presence of Christ in the city. Why? Because we're Christ's body. So that's the first point. The body is not a metaphor. Here's the second thing. In the body, every part is vital. Every part is vital. Uh, let me read uh, 1 Corinthians 12, verses 20 to 25, but I'm going to read it now through the message, right? And if you don't know what that is, the message is like a Bible, and it is a Bible, but it's a, like a paraphrase, okay? So I'll just read that f for you. This is what the message translates these verses as. I want you to think about how being a body keeps your significance from getting blown up into self-importance. No matter how significant you are, it's only because of what you're a part of. An enormous eye or gigantic hand would never be a body. It would just be a monster. What we have is one body with many parts, each its proper size and proper place. No part more important on its own. Can you imagine the eye telling a hand, get lost, I don't need you, or the head telling a foot, you're fired? As a matter of fact, in practice, it works the other way. The lower part, the more basic parts, are more necessary. You can live without an eye, for instance, but not without a stomach. When, when it's a part of your own body you're concerned with, it makes no difference whether the part's visible or clothed, higher or lower. Uh, you give it dignity and honor just as it is without compromise. In everything, you have more concern uh, for the lower parts of your body than the higher parts, the less visible than the, vi the more visible. If you had to choose, don't you? I love this. If you had to choose, wouldn't you prefer good digestion to full-bodied hair? 
How many of you had to choose? Which would you choose? Good digestion, full-bodied hair. Everyone but Donald Trump, good digestion. <laughs> the way God designed our bodies is a model for understanding our lives together as a church. Every part depends on every other part. So in healthy bodies, uh, every cell is part of this ecosystem. And this is true in our, is increasingly, science discovers this is true in the human body as well. In Naperville, Illinois, one particular high school started a program, that call, they called it Zero Hour. So 12,000 students, over the course of several years, 12,000 students uh, signed up for an early before school PE class. And this, was, this is not like PE where you're memorizing the rules of basketball. This is, this is like old school PE, only high tech old school. You, you three show up in PE and this is what I do. Like if I'm the teacher, I give you each a heart monitor, right, that's strapped on your chest, and then I'm like this. Like if your pulse at the end says that your average was 180, that's an A. 170, a B. 150, a C. I don't care how fast you go, I care how hard you work. 12,000 students, course of years. Now here's what's interesting. These students spend less on science curriculum than any school in Illinois. And they participated in a global test on science and only the students participating in zero, the, the ones that exercised, that group, number one in the world in science tests. Why? Because exercising the body changes the mind. Who knew? Right? Because we tend to, we tend to divide ourselves up and say, oh, you know, we have the mind and we have the, the body, and the body's more important than the mind if, you're, if you want a CrossFit gym. And the mind's more important than the body if you play chess. But in fact, grandmasters in chess work out with CrossFit. Why? To, to play better chess. So when it comes to the body as a church, what's the most important part of the body? Is it like um, Sunday school volunteers or preaching or maintenance folks or people who make beautiful art? Or people who throw parties, people who practice, practice gifts of hospitality, people who do, you know, administrative stuff. Jim McClurg, who handles every single detail to get a permit for a new building. Like, like people who volunteer for the homeless shelter, for the medical clinic, people who clean up between services, people who greet. Like, what's the most important part? Here's the answer, yes, right? Every part, every part matters. And so... We're called, all of us, into the body and realize that each one of us has have a role to play. And in a healthy body, there's no comparison. And this was a problem that was happening in Corinth that some people felt like their gifts weren't important and other people felt like their gifts were so important that everyone should do their gift. And actually, this latter problem is many of our problems because we're all self-referential, right? So if you know your spiritual gift, the temptation is to think, ah, my gift, most important gift. And, and I did this for years in our marriage where I, my thinking was uh, like, so on, on our honeymoon, I didn't know I was going to be a pastor at the time, but I bought a little devotional book and it kind of blew my mind. And so I'm reading this book. We're, we've been married less than a week. I'm reading this book and I'm weeping. and It's profoundly affecting me. And I show it to my wife and she goes, this is the most boring thing I've ever read in my life. I was like, how is that even possible, right? This is like shaking me to my core. 
And, and then, you know, I give it to her again, and then she's like, you know, and, and, and I go, what's going on here? And I've spent, I spent a, many years, actually, in her marriage, probably close to 15 years, trying to make her like me. Here, you know, read Karl Barth. Here, read Bonhoeffer. Here, read Dostoevsky. And she's like, here, read Calvin and Hobbes. Here, do the dishes. Here, care for the kids, you know? Totally different. So we're in line one time at a potluck here years ago. And so this guy asked me a theological question. I go, perfect. Now, you know, I'm going to clear this up. She's going to be impressed. <laughs> By the time I'm done answering this guy's question, she's gone. And I go, oh, typical, you know, gets bored with anything meaningful and leaves. So I get to the line, and uh, she's serving potatoes. And I see her, and she goes, oh, you know, when you were talking, I just looked ahead, I saw they didn't have enough servers. So I went to fill in. That's so Donna, right? And it's beautiful, and it's so not me, right? I didn't even know there were potatoes in the room <laughs> until I got there, because I'm busy, you know, at a, different, at a different total level. And so as soon as we were like, as soon as I was like, wait a minute, let's celebrate those gifts, rather than trying to make her into me, Suddenly, the marriage flourishes in a whole different way, too. Does this, does this make sense to you? So it's not just true in a marriage. It's true in the whole body of Christ. Every one of us have a gift, and it's incumbent upon us, then all of us, to find our gifts and use our gifts. And when, when you find your gift, just settle in and use it. It's liberating. But our, our, our tendency is to want to compare, and that often destroys us. So here's the last observation. <clears throat> Very quickly, bodies are intended to be diverse yet united. Right? I, like I'm, there's only, I'm one body, but uh, you're one body, you're one body. We're all different, and yet, though we're all different, we look around the room and we're like this. Yeah, we're all human, right? We all know that's who's gathered here. And even if you took it to a family level, if my son were here, you, you'd know, man, he looks like Richard. Richard plays drums, he plays drums. Richard skis, he skis. Richard played tennis, he played tennis. Like, same family. But, though we're in many ways the same, we're different. Like, when it comes to coffee, he's obsessive in a way that I'm not. And so when we have coffee now at Christmas time, it's not just a matter of put a few things in the French press and a little water at any temperature, and when you're done talking plunge the thing. Oh, no, no. You measure the beans, you have the temperature on the water, you pour it in, and you set a timer. And I go to plunge, and I was like this, not yet! <laughs> it's another 34 seconds until that's real coffee. And I go, oh, please, come on. But that's, that's a difference. And yet there's a bunch that's the same. Our desire as Bethany Community Church would be that in every location... There are things that tie us together. The centrality of Christ, the preeminence of grace, humility, authenticity, a commitment to the word. This is what we'll be going over the next few weeks. And as we turn 100 and scatter to the community, we face challenges uniquely here at Green Lake. Over 1,000 people have left this location over the last five years to participate in new locations. 
That means many of you in the room have been here less than five years. I'm just curious, how many of you have been here less than five years? Would you raise your hands? That's a lot of people. <laughs> and our desire in this year is to know you and equip you to serve so that you can participate with us in the story of hope that God is writing in the world. So that every member is using their gifts and entering into the story that God wants to write through us. As we're available, responsive to the head, God will create through us, in increasing measure, a clear picture of Jesus. That's our prayer for 2016. Father, meet us now at your table. As we worship you, we pray that you'd be our teacher. In these moments, give us responsive hearts. We pray in Christ's name.